I live and work in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is right over the river from Boston. And if you've ever spent any time in Boston, you've probably seen them. Groups of tourists flocking around someone wearing a top hat and tails who's shouting about the Revolutionary War. Historical tours are big in this area. And I'm like 90% sure I've been on one of these tours before, but I, I can't really remember when. But you get used to them. And you even kind of grow to love them. That's why I was really excited to be on my own personalized version of a historical tour just a no, few no, months so, ago. Well, there's a, there's a, there's, it's sort of a double-edged sword, right? If you are in costume for a tour, everybody's looking at you and yeah. you feel like a famous person because everybody's staring at you. Lots of people are taking pictures without your permission. So Lovely. You have the mic to do that for you. So, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you go around as a civilian, you might actually escape unscathed. This is Daniel Berger-Jones and he's one of the founders of Cambridge Historical Tours. I met up with him because I wanted him to tell me about a house. For years I was telling people that it was that yellow house right there, but it's not. <laughs> Finally, lady came out of that gray house right there with the gentleman standing up on the porch. And uh, if we're really lucky, she'll come out again today. She's come out several times on, in the middle of my tours. And like Daniel was born to be a tour guide. Where you and I might see a street, he sees an endless string of stories. I don't know if you know about the Pentagon Papers in 1971, but Daniel Ellsberg is basically the first leaker in the United States. Yeah. Pre-Snowden, pre-Chelsea Manning, he uh, leaked all of the government's intentions in Vietnam, all of the you know, Nixon administration's sort of like, here's all the sinister stuff we're going to do to the press. And uh, apparently, after he turned himself in, gave an interview from that porch after posting a you know, $50,000 bail. Let's stand right here on this corner. Unless you guys want to go right up to it here, why not? Whew. Golly, it's chilly. We were standing in front of number 14 Hilliard Street. The building is sometimes called the Sister House, but Daniel really doesn't know why. I guess I'll start at the beginning. I mean, if you were on my tour and you had no idea, I know you know who they are already, but here's how it would go, something like this. So this was the house of Margaret Waldstein was her original name, and a guy named Hans Augusto Reiersbach, who changed Good his... Good pronunciation. Isn't that nice? H.A. Uh, Ray, better known as Margaret and H.A. Ray. Margaret and Hans both passed away while living in this house, but they weren't born in Cambridge. They were both born in Hamburg, Germany. Hans in 1898, and Margaret in 1906. They were both German Jews. Hans grew up basically next door to the Hagenbeck Zoo, and he spent a lot of time there, imitating animal noises and sketching, always sketching. Margaret grew up not far away, and the two actually met as children. You mean you knew each other in Germany? We knew each other a little bit in Germany. I knew her when she was a child uh, at her father's house, and she doesn't remember it. Uh, she came sliding down the banisters, and uh, I was standing downstairs with her older sister. And there she came, that's how I met her. <laughs> This is from a 1966 radio interview with Hans and Margaret. Hans served in the German army during World War I and got a job painting posters after the war ended. He eventually ended up working in Rio de Janeiro selling bathtubs in the 1920s. Meanwhile, Margaret grew up studying art. She also moved to Rio to work as a photographer. That's where they reunited and started their own ad agency. They even became Brazilian citizens. They got married and decided to go to Paris for a short honeymoon and instead, they ended up living there for four years. It was around this time that they wrote their first children's book. We did a book about a giraffe, and the giraffe took nine little monkeys in. 
And one of those little monkeys was George. And then a while later, we thought of a book about a monkey, and we did this first Curious George. Never thought of a series. And then over the years, we got so many letters from children saying, what can George do next, and won't you do another book? So then we did another book. And after the second one, we thought, never again, because we thought, generally when you do a series, the first is good, and then it sort of peters out. Peters out. In the meantime, the world was at war. Refugees were pouring into Paris across the north. And in 1940, just a few hours before the Nazis entered the city, Margaret and Hans pedaled out of Paris on handmade bicycles, with the manuscript of the first Curious George book tied to the front. They made it to Portugal by train, after selling their bikes at the Spanish border, and then Rio. But later that year, they moved to Greenwich Village in New York. And it wasn't long before they'd struck up a deal with Houghton Mifflin to publish the book they had rescued from Paris. Margaret wrote about the trip later and said, Among children, we seem to be known as the parents of Curious George. I thought you were monkeys too, said a little boy, who had been eager to meet us. Disappointment written all over his face. Twenty years later, the couple moved to Cambridge, to 14 Hilliard Street, to the sister house. Hans lived in the house for 14 years until he died at the age of 78. Margaret lived another 19 years. She passed away in 1996 at the age of 90. And from what I understand, was, it was one of the great losses in Cambridge history. She was well, well loved on this street. She was, you know, he, she was the model for Curious George. He modeled the, the actual, actual Curious George, the monkey, after her face. <laughs> and they, the neighbors say, I, I, I mean, she actually loved it. She relished it. You know, people would recognize her in restaurants in Harvard Square. They'd go up and be like, do, do I know you from somewhere? And she'd be like, I'm Curious George, right? She had this funny German accent. She would, you know, take her daily strolls up and down this street. She would come to children's birthday parties and enjoy massive mounds of cake and always bring a basket of, like, stuffed Curious George dolls. And um, was very active in the community. Um, was a creative writing professor at Brandeis. Uh, and just was funny. Yeah. I mean, was like a hilarious old lady. And they say as she aged, she looked more and more like Curious George. So, you know, 90 years old, she was like, ah, yeah, you can see it. Donna Friedman and Hillel Stavis lived a few houses down, and they were the owners of Wordsworth a popular bookstore just a few blocks away in the heart of Harvard Square. Wordsworth was their life's work. Hillel started the bookstore back in 1976, and Donna worked at the Harvard Coop, a huge Barnes & Noble around the corner. At the Coop, they moved you around between departments indiscriminately, so they put you through a manager training program, and then they could put you in any department that they wanted to, and they were putting me in textbooks or something. So the buyer of the general books department where I had worked told me to go across the street to Wordsworth, and he made a phone call. And was the manager to, was, at the time... Why did he want to get rid of you? <laughs> no, I didn't want to go to textbooks. I wanted to stay in general books. So, um, so he made a phone call, and I walked across the street, and the manager at the time, which wasn't Hill, I mean, he was the owner, but not the manager... Um, and I was hired. So that's how I came to work there. One night, a mutual friend of theirs asked them both out to the movies and then never showed up. Donna thinks it was on purpose. 
I remember going home and visiting my parents in Connecticut, and so, somebody asked me what my plan was. What, and I said before I'd even really met Hill that I was going to marry him, <laughs> and I, I just knew it, and I did. She's been regretting it ever since. <laughs> Donna and Hillel had seen Hans and Margaret around the neighborhood. But by the time they had moved to Hilliard Street, Hans had already died. Uh, we met Margaret. In the 80s? Yeah. Or early, yeah. early I mean, 80s? She, she, you know, spoke to you if, if you were on the street. I mean, she'd ask you questions, who you were and, you know, where you came from. And she was up front. She was a very, very imposing figure because she just was unafraid. Of, she wasn't afraid of anything. She, I mean, she would walk down the middle of the street when the cars were coming in the opposite mm-hmm. way, and they'd always stop or move for her. And if they yelled at her, she'd just kind of wave her hand and dismiss mm-hmm. them. And uh, she was it's kind of imperious. Donna had an idea for a side project. She wanted to start a children's bookstore, and they asked Margaret if she would support the store being Curious George-themed. Margaret, always the businesswoman, agreed. At the end of the day, it was a good way to sell more books. I think at that point she was really into philanthropy. And, right. You know, the last years of her life, she gave a lot of money to uh, the Boston Public Library. And the hospital. And, and the, I don't know, was it Children's or Beth Israel? One of the two. But she she gave away, gave away a lot of her I money. Think Beth Israel. But also she I think was, she looked at it as a kind of a tribute to Hans to some extent in his work. Mm-hmm. Donna and Hillel began negotiations with Houghton Mifflin, the publisher, about how the store would look and feel. Donna wanted the store to feel like the inside of a jungle. They even built a model of Curious George, which rode on a bicycle on a track above the customers' heads. The store, named Curious George Goes to Wordsworth, finally opened its doors in 1995. Margaret held a book signing, and there were lines around the block. She passed away a year later. Donna and Hillel also opened a gift store on the same block, which meant that they owned three stores in the heart of Harvard Square. And business was booming. At one point, Wordsworth was so busy, they were keeping it open 24 hours a day. It was an institution at Harvard. You would see your friends and neighbors there, but you'd also see your fair share of famous people. Well, Jimmy Carter came twice, and uh, Hillary came well, an almost president. president. Yeah, we only had one real president. We had president. an almost president and two real presidents. We had Gore. Oh, yeah, that's right. Another almost president. And um, a lot of sports figures, because they always write sports books. We had some some of the situations were embarrassing, because a lot of, a lot of times authors would, this is before the, they could check their rankings on Amazon, which is what they do all night, of course. But uh, instead of that, they would they would visit independent bookstores and kind of move their books to the front. <laughs> well, you can't blame them. You know, <laughs> it's their business. And I remember one author, I think he was a political writer, had moved, t- took a stack of his books and moved it to the front. And one of our employees said, um, don't do that. He says, and he said, why not? He said, because that book is a real dog. <laughs> he says, it's not selling at all. And of course, it turned out to be the author. So I got a nasty letter from the publisher saying, you just insulted one of our best authors. <laughs> so I had to write a letter of apology. But, uh, but as it turned out, the employee was right. It wasn't selling very well. Hillel was noticing a trend. People were starting to buy books online. So he approached IBM and bought a computer. It was the size of a refrigerator. They say, you can't use this in retail. 
And we said, why not? It's a computer. And they said, well, it only does things like uh, manage steel plants and things like that. <laughs> and we said, well, let's try it. So they were so uh, amazed that we bought a mini computer for retail that they, uh, they, they sold us the computer, but along with the computer came one of those three-piece suit guys who kind of babysat the computer. He would sit there all day. We didn't really need him, but they were fascinated by what we were doing. Hillel and Donna were one of the first booksellers to get ahead of Amazon and the on-demand book craze. They invented a digital filing system and were one of the first booksellers to go online. But it wasn't enough to keep them around. Harvard Square had finally been discovered as the next trendy neighborhood and their rent skyrocketed. You know, we really had good policies for people that worked for us. We had, you know, really good health insurance programs and really good 401ks for everybody that worked there. You know, that sucked a lot of money out of, you know, what we could have used for rent. But would we want, would we want to do that? We wouldn't have had the loyalty of the people that worked for us. And I don't yeah. know. We were good employees. I feel like we were good employers. Yeah, I mean, we had a 38-year run, which wasn't bad. No. No, I guess we could have we could have bought books more carefully. You know, we didn't have to have, you know, five editions of Tom Sawyer or you know. I mean, there are little things we could have tweaked, but it doesn't help to think that now. It doesn't, you know, change anything. Yeah, I don't think we have any regrets. I mean, we had thirty eight years of fun. I mean, I have regrets. I would like to still have a bookstore, but (laughs) um, but I I don't necessarily feel like I would have done a whole lot differently because it would have changed the business for us and our experience there. The morning after Wordsworth closed down, Donna and Hillel were back at work. Curious George goes to Wordsworth. The store which had been started as a side project suddenly seemed a lot more important. They were able to keep the Curious George store open for nearly a decade after Wordsworth. But in 2011, rent and reality caught up. I think the Curious George store uh, was um, not as disappointing as Wordsworth because Wordsworth, you know, I had kind of I founded it and it lasted for many decades. But I think the, the Curious George store ended just around the time that Harvard Square was becoming phenomenally overpriced in terms of rent, so it was kind of inevitable. And the only stores that were opening up in Harvard Square were banks and Starbucks and CVSs and things of that nature. So it's it's we were one of the last independents in Harvard Square. There had been a lot of independents that had gone out of business before us. So we, we hung along, hung around as uh, long as we could, and we were one of the last survivors. So it didn't feel all that bad. What better could there be to do yeah, than run a bookstore? I mean, it's and exactly make a, and make, every great make thing. Make a fairly decent living out of it. I know. It too. I mean, what could be better if you like if you like books? Right. I mean, I can't imagine a better way to live. After the break, Curious George returns to Harvard Square. When I was a teenager, I had this kayak. One day, paddling up the coast, a tourist offered me $5 to take him out to the point. And he made me think, maybe I could do this for a living. But of course, back then, I didn't know anything about starting a business like sales, marketing, strategy. But today, With that same dream, I'd have HubSpot Academy. They offer entire courses as well as shorter individual lessons on blogging, user experience, inbound marketing, sales, and Facebook marketing, plus a lot more. And the best thing is, it's all free. 
Go to HubSpot.com grow to sign up for your first class and get started growing your own business. Again, that's HubSpot.com grow. Sign up and build your business better. Adam Hirsch grew up reading and watching Curious George, but his background was never in retail and it definitely wasn't in the toy business. Instead, he's from the world of marketing and sales strategy. He worked in sales for Monster, the job searching website, before he moved on to Fidelity. But his first taste of the world of entrepreneurship was at Next Step Living, a company that helped people build energy efficient homes. That led me directly to the road of Curious George. Why? You know, there's one thing to own a very small percentage of something that could be huge, which is great. But uh, at some point, it, it became clear to me that um, maybe all my dreams and aspirations uh, may not be realized uh, in that uh, venue. And then I started looking at and thinking, well, gee, rather than owning 1% or 2% of something, it would really be nice to make, you know, be responsible, own 51% yeah. uh, of something and have a real go at it. Adam knew the risks of working in brick-and-mortar retail. But at the same time, the store was kind of a unique and exciting opportunity. I would be hard-pressed to, out of, you know, any random 10 people in the United States or in Europe, uh, to say the word Curious George or show an image, and I, I would be shocked if two out of the 10 didn't immediately recognize Curious George. The physical store was obviously going to be important, but Adam knew that a new store would also have to essentially act like a billboard for any online sales. He closed a deal, and almost a year after Curious George Goes to Wordsworth closed down, Adam's store opened. He renamed it the world's only Curious George store. Several hundred, maybe three, four hundred people were there to experience the reopening of the Curious George store uh, on that day. The mayor came. Uh, it was a wonderful uh, experience, and all for a retail store. We, that was the moment it became truly tangible to me that you know, it ain't a liquor store. This ain't a C CVS. This is something special and unique to this space. And, um, and, you know, we're, you know, ever since that moment and before, uh, we've been trying to do everything we can uh, to be good caretakers of this store. There had been a hole in the Harvard Square community since the store was forced to close, and Adam was filling it. But he was also terrified. He put a huge amount of money into the store, and he did an enormous amount of fundraising to be able to afford the place. There were a lot of expectations. A few years in, Adam began hearing murmurs that the Dow Family Trust, the company that owned the building, might be looking to sell. Those rumors ended up being true. In 2015, they sold to Equity One. And Equity One was looking to renovate, which meant that once again, the future of the store was in question. There's a couple of things the way I look at it. One is owning a store in our business model. But at, at its core, I really felt like I was a caretaker of something more important than, than me, you know, where, what I, where I wanted to go with our family. Yeah. I really wanted to figure out how to keep this experience, this Harvard Square special, unique experience for I was going to say for children, but with a nostalgia for everyone. Right. 
uh, there in the heart of Harvard Square. So for the next year, I was looking at other spaces, understanding that Equity One had a vision and a plan for the space that it didn't seem like there would be a... a didn't seem a sp- like Curious George was factoring. Was, was part of that plan. Yeah. That uncertainty didn't just last for a few months. It lasted years. Behind the scenes, Equity One was bought by Regency, one of the largest real estate trusts in the U.S. And you might think that bigger in this case would mean more impersonal or uncaring. But Adam began seeing the opposite happen. They, I think, uh, sincerely want to come in and be, again, I'm going to use that word, good caretakers for the square. Mm. And uh, one of the messages that they heard and uh, they were listening to is that some way, you know, somehow we, w- we want Curious George to be able to be part of this future that you're seeking to build yeah. in this space. And they heard that and, and they, to get to their credit, uh, they embraced that. Which means that for now, Curious George isn't going too far. We may have to move to a pop-up within the space for a year and then move back to maybe not exactly where we are, but maybe a little left, a little to the right, but close enough. But still that, in the heart. Yeah, after looking at all the other options that were available within two, three blocks, hands down, this was the best potential outcome. One of the things that stands out to me about Curious George is that from the very start, he's been on the move. From Paris to Rio to New York City, and then finally to Cambridge. And for more than 50 years, people have been fighting to give him a home here. For now, his future in Harvard is somewhat certain. That could change in a couple of years, but it's set for now. And that means that the whole point of Curious George, to make kids and adults happy, that gets to live on. Any day in Harvard Square where it's a blue sky, over 40 degrees, the people are out, and you know, it doesn't happen once. It happens 10, 20 times a day, if not more. All I have to do is be around outside for five minutes and there are people across the street taking pictures of the store. There are kids freaking out, running across the street, barely holding on to their parents' hands, can't wait to get inside that store. And when they walk in that store, that open up that door, their jaw drops, and they are in heaven for 20 minutes to a half hour. It's nice to be a part of that. And that's, you know, that's what Curious George has been offering for 70 plus years. And uh, so it's nice to help keep that going forward. Today's episode was produced by Kieran Peterson. Thanks to Daniel Berger-Jones and the Cambridge Historical Tours. If you're ever in town, I highly recommend seeing what they're up to. A huge thank you to Hillel Stavis, Donna Friedman, and Adam Hirsch, as well as WGBH for the audio of the rays you heard earlier in this episode. If you like this episode, please tell your friends about us. And if you don't have any friends, 
tell your internet friends by rating and reviewing the show, any place you do that kind of thing. Finally, I want to thank Margaret and Hans Ray on behalf of former kids everywhere. I'm Megan Keeney-Anderson, and see you next week. Thank you.